Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we talk about the optimal line configurations of the Winnipeg Jets with our friend Murat Atesh of The Athletic. Where should Pierre-Luc Dubois play ultimately? What will the lines look like in a best-case scenario? We'll also go to North Carolina to talk to Winnipegger Amber Balkin, who's living the dream, racing for a living, her plans for 2021, and how you can follow her progress on the podcast. We're going to get back into the Winnipeg Jets now with our friend Murat Atesh of The Athletic. Murat, were you able to go out on the rinks today, or is it too hot? Did the ice melt? <laughs> you know what? I, I have evening plans to hop on the ice, but I actually I don't know what one does when it's this warm and, and you really want to head out. I was freezing my butt off uh, in the weeks past. I was out on the ice all those minus 30 days. Yeah, I walked by a rink today, and I saw... I saw standing water, which was not a good sign. So, <laughs> oh my not, goodness, not good. So, uh, anyway, we'll uh, let's get into the Jets right now. And did you like what you saw out of Pierre Luc Dubois last night? Well, it's a mixed bag, which is hilarious to think, given that he scored two excellent goals, made a great plat pass to Neil Pionk on the power play as well. But for me. Let's put this a different way, actually. I'll, I'll flip this around. At the end of the game, with the Canucks goalie pulled, you had Elias Pettersson at the top of the circle getting shot after shot after shot. And one, he hits Connor Hellebuck in the mask. Another, he puts off the bar. Then he misses. And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, whatever Vancouver's record is, however well Elias Pettersson has played, he is too good not to eventually score if you keep giving him those chances. For me, that was the same story as Pierre-Luc Dubois all game. There were some pucks that bounced off of his skates. There were some forechecks that looked like he didn't quite have his route right. But if you put him on the ice enough times with Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler and you put him in positions where he's got the puck on the stick, even if he's played only three games for the Winnipeg Jets, he is too good not to make hay out of those opportunities. And that overtime game winner was just a culmination of all of that. There is no stopping. No amount of rust can stop a player that good from making a play that good at the end of the night. So mixed bag, but obviously lots of spectacular in there. Mm-hmm. And it's his third game with Winnipeg. It's his third game in a month, basically. He comes in for two, gets hurt, comes back in now with the kind of the supercharged top line there with Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler. And while they did produce most of the offense last night, is that a sustainable top line, you think, or is this just a temporary fix for Paul Maurice? Well, I do think it's sustainable in the way where if you put those three guys together, I I should expect you to be able to get good results out of it for an extended period of time. I don't mind Pierre-Luc Dubois as a wing, but that's not his job description. That's not why he's in Winnipeg. I think he can have results there, especially playing with Mark Shifley. I think that um, each player is a great passer. Each player is a great shooter. And um, Pierre-Luc Dubois seems to like to curl down the right wing boards and feed into the middle. I think Mark Shifley's one time would be great there. Um, all to say, I, I think that the plan for Winnipeg is to ease him back into heavy duty. I mean, there was a little bit of rust there. And like you say, three games in a month, I mean, that's a tough ask. So I think he'll play a little bit more wing. Paul Murray said yesterday after the game that he maybe rotated at first into center with Paul Stastny, switched uh, in and out with Stastny, and then he'll get, gradually get his feet wet at the center position. Long term, he's here in Winnipeg to be that second-line center solution, or even better if he continues to develop. 
So let's spitball an idea then. What do you think would be his optimal two wingers? Would it be Kyle Connor and Blake Wheeler? Would it be Connor and Ehlers? What do you think? For me, I love the idea, actually, of it being Kyle Connor and Blake Wheeler. And the reason why I say that was, you know, going back to that 15-game video dive I did of uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois in Columbus just after the acquisition, there are so many subtle plays that he can make at speed where he's cutting from the middle of the ice towards the right-wing wall, and he can make an effortless off-time pass into the middle of the ice that defenders don't really get. It's like catching them off-beat. They're not expecting it at the moment. Mark Scheifele's good at making that kind of pass. Uh, Billy Hanel, I've got the moose on. He's excellent at, at playing that kind of pass as well. But if you're thinking about forwards on the Winnipeg Jets who can quickly and dangerously exploit a pass that catches people flat-footed, I can't think of a more dangerous player in the middle of the ice than Kyle Connor is. And for me, that's the duo that I would ideally like to see Winnipeg begin to work towards uh, with with Pierre-Luc Dubois. So the trickle-down of that would be Cop ehlers Shifley, right? On the top, or the quote-unquote top line? Yeah, absolutely. I have time for that. I think that's the that's the place to go. The debate continues to be, does Andrew Kopp have the, the hands and the finishing ability and the consistency to play that volume of minutes and still produce offense? I think he's a good enough defensive player to help even in that role if Shifley and Ehlers are the ones carrying the mail offensively. Of course, you always have Paul Stastny as an option as well. And I think that for me, what it ends up um, what ends up happening is that you're able to play a four-line deep team, you're able to sort of democratize the minutes a little bit more, and you can have games where Stastny is your second-line center or Pierre-Luc Dubois is your second-line center or Mark Scheifele even is your second-line center uh, because you've got such a deep top nine. And so, the tr- again, looking at what a third line would look like then with uh, Stastny and is it Appleton? How do you use Lowry? Do you promote Christian Veselainen? What's Matthew Perot's role? Uh, do you figure that we're going to see just a lot of kind of rotation in those bottom two uh, pairs or trios because of if they can get that top six established, they'll have some more experimentation to do down low? I, I think that there's the opportunity for that, especially with so many games. Maybe the flip side of that is the experimentation goes down because there's so few practices as a result of how tightly packed the games are. Uh, so there's a little bit of arguments for both. Uh, and just, I guess, to follow the thought through and to, to be uh, res- like as thorough with the question that you're asking as well. For me, in those moments when Paul Stastny isn't playing with Nick Ehlers or Andrew Kopp, for example, in that offensive can do a little bit of everything sort of capacity, He's the sort of player that I can imagine as a third-line center playing against tough opposition. You could even put Adam Lowry on his wing. You've got two excellent centermen. One can cheat on the draw if need be. Uh, you know, I think that there are ways to, to continue that down the lineup and, and still have a very excellent, quote-unquote, checking third line while still making sure that you have Stastny in your top nine and Adam, Adam Lowry isn't wasting away playing five minutes on the fourth line. Defensively, how does the team look? I think that Connor Hellebuck is having a better season than we've yet acknowledged. Um, that's my, my read on the defense so far. I mean, I'm so impressed with Derek Forbert in, in relation to kind of how, um, how his last couple of seasons have gone because he's had back injuries. Uh, he's been playing, you know, third pair for Calgary. He hasn't played a ton of games. Um, so I've been impressed that he and Neil Pionk have been able to put together a really solid top four uh, duo between the two of them. I don't think 
you'd ideally on a cup contending team want them to be your number one pair, though they have been that for Winnipeg so far. Uh, you know, I, I think more Josh Morrissey has been touch and go, but it's also a difficult role that he's in where he's playing with a nude partner, it seems, almost every other night. Um, and he is yet to sort of excel or dominate for me. So I think that Forbert and Pionk have been my more most impressive defensemen uh, from a Jets perspective. But overall, Christian, for me, my, my take is that this is a team that opposing teams can pressure so much that the breakouts begin to suffer. And even though it's a very good team, even though it's going to win a lot of games, even though there's tremendous offense on the other side of it, you will find stretches where Winnipeg's buried in its own zone against some of the top teams or at least the top lines. In that regard, then, are you worried what might happen once they face the Toronto Maple Leafs? Well, I mean, there, there's a depth question there, right? Where you, you can imagine Winnipeg's forwards going against anyone if you balance that top nine, whatever the iteration is like we were talking about. Well, someone is, you know, if Forbert and Pionk can play a top four role, they're still having to go against, say, an Austin Matthews or whoever the, the matchup of the day is. And then um, you're looking at Josh Morrissey plus maybe Nathan Beaulieu, who's higher up the lineup than you'd ideally like. Maybe it's Tucker Pullman, who doesn't have tremendous NHL experience despite his age at this stage. Maybe it's a, a, a rookie like Villahano, like Morrissey had played with at one point, or Sami Niku or someone. No matter who it is, unless perhaps it's Dylan DeMello and they instantly get their chemistry back, which we haven't seen happen quite yet, you know, you're, you're looking at a tough ask. If you're looking to, for the Winnipeg Jets to play against a team with two or three excellent forward lines, like, say, the Toronto Maple Leafs absolutely have, then somebody's going to be outmatched, and it's going to be about all five players doing the best they can to sort of tread water and push it the other way. I sometimes read too many things on the Internet, and I know it's just a small sample size of what the general populace and fan base feels, but what I've noticed is a lot of people don't like Nathan Pouliou, at least, in the in, not as a person, but as a, as a hockey player. Do you feel like the only way he comes out of the lineup is if he gets hurt? <laughs> I, sorry, I just I, I love the reading too much too many things on the internet line. I mean, isn't that true? I, you spend enough time on Twitter, you'll read every opinion under the sun. Um, and in terms of Nathan Bolu, I think that's fair. I really do. I think that you know. Paul Maurice preaches identity. Blake Wheeler preaches identity. They talk about Nathan Beaulieu when they bring that up, and they talk about shot blocks and toughness, his willingness to drop gloves. I think at the end of the roster, Winnipeg, and especially through Paul Maurice, has always liked glue guys, veterans, uh, players with heart as opposed to necessarily dazzling hands. And I think that Nathan Beaulieu fits that. He seems to come under a lot of fire because He's not a great puck mover, and maybe the, the rookies that you'd ideally like to see promoting it in his place if everybody's playing well, Ville Hainala, Dylan Sandberg, the next wave, probably have skills that he doesn't have. So he becomes a lightning rod, maybe disproportionate to, to who he is actually as a player because he's getting minutes that other players certainly aren't. Well, and, and we have to remember that in a perfect world, he's not playing probably 18, 19 minutes a game, but some, like, Tucker Pullman might be out again, and then Logan Stanley comes back in potentially Thursday. We don't know yet, but it's, I guess, a, a question of how much do you trust Nathan Beaulieu to play big minutes, and are you thinking that Logan Stanley comes back in if Tucker Pullman can't go? And if he does, the Jets, do they feel good about that? 
Well, I, I do think that Logan Stanley is the answer if, if Tucker Pullman can't go, kind of a last man out, first man back in. He's been impressive. He hasn't been sent down to the AHL. Meanwhile, at the AHL level, you've got Pascal Vincent talking about Dylan Sandberg and Ville Hainala as you know two people that he'd like to see quite a lot of minutes from because they have the potential to play you know long professional careers together. Uh, so I think that it's about who's on the roster right now. Stanley's probably on the way back in. But if you're Charlie Huddy or Paul Maurice and you're trying to build the defense, you're you, you're already starting in a position of needing to make the best of kind of a you know a, a non-dominant situation. Because if you trust Forbert and Pionk, as I think they should and, and they do based on their minutes, then you've got to give somebody to Josh Morrissey. And for me, that's either... You know, it's become Nathan Beaulieu, but it could be Tucker Pullman. Neither of them have excelled in a top minutes role in the NHL, no matter, you know, how much heart Beaulieu has or how much promise Tucker Pullman has. The results in a top pairing role certainly haven't been there, and I think both players are ideally, you know, suited for that third pairing. Meanwhile, Dylan DeMello, who has had top four success, he's been able to play with partners and improve their numbers uh, throughout his career. Hasn't had a great start to the season. I think he's rounding into form now, and it is an option but to put him with Josh Morrissey and throw him to the Wolves in a top four situation right now um, is is asking for more than you've seen from him in immediately recent history as well so I don't think you look at that and immediate and think to yourself that there's there's a combination or a rearrangement that shuts things down and, and absolutely solidifies the defensive zone I'll let you go on this question Murad has nothing to do with the Jets or it could potentially seeing the outdoor games on the weekend with no fans where would you like to see just a, an, a wilderness outdoor game in Canada? Oh, my goodness. I, I would need to ruminate on that for a while. But because we talked about it, you know, I'm sure there's, you know, I, mountainside locations, there's seaside locations and all those things that would probably be picturesque as all heck. What about the Forks? What about somewhere in Winnipeg that has, you know, ancient traditions and a lot of history in Winnipeg that has been a meeting place that is scenic and picturesque? You have the rivers and, and anyone who skated in Winnipeg has probably skated there as well. So there'd be a connection. I, I think it would be fun. Yeah. Okay. I'm down for that. And we can all gather around and see it from above. That'd be kind of cool. I, I mean, it would never happen, but it's a, it's a cool thought. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. All right, Murat, appreciate your time as always. We can read your work in The Athletic, and uh, we'll see you in the press box on Thursday. Right on. Thanks, Christian. We're going to head to North Carolina now, where we are joined by the Winnipeg-born racer, Amber Balkan. Amber, how are you doing tonight? Hey, guys. I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are things down in uh, North Carolina right now? Um, a little rainy, but uh, I'll take that over the cold windshield. <laughs> Fair enough. So uh, we've had you on a couple months ago to talk about uh, where you're at with your racing career. What do you have planned for 2021? For 2021, I'll be racing in the Bill McAnally um, NASCAR Development Program, and I am bringing on board a brand-new sponsor out of our home province of Winnipeg, right out of Winkler, Manitoba. And they are Icon Direct, which is a aftermarket RV parts company. And so I'm super excited to have them on board. Uh, we have Glenn McLeod and Sons, the trucking company out of Winnipeg, coming on board again for their fifth season sponsoring me. So I have two amazing Manitoba companies backing me this year in a NASCAR development series. So I'm extremely excited. That is awesome. So for the uninitiated, uh, explain the development series. How many... Uh, I guess how many races are a part of that? What's the standard of car? That kind of thing. 
Yeah, so the cars that I'm running are going to be an ARCA car. So um, an ARCA car looks exactly like a NASCAR, super similar with the chassis, super similar body, um, spec engine. So it's basically the same as an NASCAR car. And we'll be racing 40 races all over the West Coast. So 40 races is a lot for pavement. We're doing a lot of back-to-back weekends, so we'll be racing Friday and Saturday. We'll be racing at Sonoma, which that's on the NASCAR Cup Series. We'll be racing at Thunder Hill. So we have two road courses and then three circle tracks at uh, Kern County, Irwindale, and Roseville. So that will be all over California. And the really cool thing about this NASCAR development deal is the championship winner and the points leaders actually have the opportunity to run um, ARCA races as well, which is a one step higher. So uh, in addition to these 40 races, I hope to do three ARCA races as well. So it's a really great opportunity for someone like myself who has been lacking a little bit of seat time to go out there and get 40 races under their belt, showcase their talent to move up in the series and catch the eyes of, of more sponsors to help get me there. You've done a lot of dirt track racing too, right? Yeah, that's where I come from. I come from the dirt. I raced at River Co-op Speedway when I was a teenager and uh, raced in the northern states sprint cars after that. And the last few years kind of transitioned back to NASCAR. Actually, last year I did race on the dirt. Um, With COVID, it was really difficult to get sponsorships and a lot of the NASCAR races were canceled. So in order to stay in the seat, I decided to go back to my roots of dirt track racing. So on a typical weekend, you mentioned you're going to have a couple races. Do you get to go home after the races, or are you just basically road tripping across the West for uh, months on end? <laughs> well, I'll actually be moving to to California for the season just because it is on the opposite end of, of the states, and I'm now living in North Carolina. So uh, the first couple races I'll be traveling, and then I will move there for the rest of the season. So are you excited to, I guess, take in the California lifestyle? Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm more excited to just get to race a lot. You know, these last couple of years, I've really struggled to find the sponsorship to race. And I was very you know, fortunate to have Icon Direct come on board and for an entire season of racing. So I get to race 40 races this year. I'm going to try to win as many races as I can and hopefully take home the championship as well. What kind of... Uh financial windfalls can you get out of this racing level is it enough to make a living um (laughs) i'm still at the developmental series so uh it's it's enough to pay the bills but uh nothing like you would make in the cup series essentially you have to kind of think of it as a struggling actress or struggling singer you know you really have to um, be resourceful the, the first while. And then when you make it, you have the opportunity to make a lot of money, but it, you're definitely not making much money at, at these levels. But that's not why I'm in it. I'm not in it for the money. I'm in it to, you know, live out my full potential and, and see how far I can make it in racing and inspire others, empower others. And, you know, the, the higher up the ranks I get, the more that I can financially give back to others too. So, I'm in it for, um, you know, really just the pursuit of my potential and seeing what we can achieve and to partner with great companies like Icon Direct and Glenn McLeod and Sons and, um, you know, hopefully more in the future as well. How many other women are in this series? I'm the only female in this in this current series. It's just and you. Too. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a bunch of American men and Amber Balkan. 
Yes. <laughs> How does that make you feel? Um, I'm growing up in racing. I was usually kind of the only female, so I'm pretty used to it. You know, the car doesn't know if I'm a male or female. So when I put that helmet on, I just focus on being a driver, and I really try to kind of leave the gender aspect out of it. But at the same time, there are, I'm sure part of your, you know, trying to to be a, a role model part of this is for younger people to see your success and younger girls seeing your success and think, hey, you know what, I can race too. Oh, absolutely. I definitely feel I have a responsibility to be that role model and positive influence on, you know, the younger generation and females. I would love for girls to see me in the car and, and see me win and say, wow, if Amber could do that, I can do that too. So I definitely um, take responsibility for it that way. But as far as being in the car, I just, you know, really try to focus on hitting my marks and, and being as fast as I can. What's the biggest difference for you going from dirt to pavement? Um, I think the first one obviously would be the, the racing surface. They're two completely different surfaces. And then the cars as well, you know, I'm, when I raced dirt, it was a open wheel car with a large engine, very lightweight car, easily to flip where now I'm in these full body, large stock cars uh, with big engines, but they're a lot heavier. So they drive very differently, but um, I think these are a little safer so I know my parents are happy that I'm going back to the NASCAR side of things uh, because they are quite safer just because we have, you know, the the big roll cage and the body around us. But honestly, I'm happy when I'm behind the wheel of anything. Um, I just want to see how far I can make it in this sport. And I'd love to be at the top and be at, in the Cup Series one day and, you know, be that, that role model for not only females but Canadians as well. There's not a lot of Canadians in the sport, so it's really cool to be representing Canada on the West Coast this year. And we've had you on before to talk about uh, the crash you had last summer. You mentioned that what you're going to be doing is a little bit safer. Does that have the reassurance of everyone around you, like they're okay with you getting behind the wheel? Yeah, I've raced since my crash um, two and a half months after my crash last year. I actually got back in that same type of car. It was called a midget and um, raced that. And there was no fear there. It, it, I was just happy to be back in a race car. It felt natural. And, um, you know, wrecking or crashing is just part of the sport. It really doesn't matter what type of race car you in it are in. It's kind of inevitable. You're going to crash eventually. Um, but that's not something drivers really think too much about or focus on. You know, we just focus on winning, trying to win the race and, and be the just best drivers we can be. So I'm, I'm very optimistic about this season. I think we're going to have an awesome season. Um, it, it's really nice for me to be able to just focus on driving and, and developing my skills, knowing that I have the sponsorship, you know, done for the season. And um, I don't have to worry about how I'm going to find money for the next race that was always kind of the biggest stressor so to be able to just focus on racing and, and winning and doing the best I can for my sponsors and all the people that support me the fans and my family and loved ones uh, that's what I'm really looking forward to so your first race is March 26th if people want to follow your progress or check out the action uh, where can they go uh, you can actually watch all the races internationally on Speedsport TV. 
It's really great, too, because you can watch it on your phone, computer, TV, uh, speedsporttv.com, and all the races are televised. So even in Canada, we, we you can watch the races, and I, I highly recommend doing it. There, it's going to be a great time. <laughs> well, Amber, appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for this, and best of luck. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. That is Amber Balkan, Winnipegger, racing, living the dream in the United States again. She will be riding in the BMR Drivers Academy NASCAR Development Program starting in March, just over a month from now, March 26th in Roseville, California. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?